What if you were born with a disease that you always knew would kill you? And then what if all of a sudden you were given a second chance? Well, that's exactly what happened to me. And it's the question that we explore on the new podcast series, Breathless from Snack Labs. Join me, Jeremy Saunders, for a series that explores what it means to live and die, to love and to lose, and what it's like to have your whole life turned upside down and the unexpected challenges that come with a life-saving drug. You can listen to Breathless now, wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm excited for this because, uh, Brad, I know how much you love nerding out about biology and science and, and I mean, yeah, you know, neurobiology, big, big on neuro Super amateur level, by yeah. the way. I mean, you don't know anything, but you're, don't you just anything. like hearing about it. Mm-hmm. For um, some reason, it's really fascinating to me more so than like our systemic anatomy, like our internal yeah. organs. I'm like, yes, tell me about neurons. Yeah. And then when you add sex to the mix... Well, then it's, right it's ripe alley. for a Turn Me On podcast uh, conversation. Uh, we're, we're hanging out with Chelsea today. First of all, Chelsea, thank you for joining us. And welcome. Um, and welcome. Uh, another podcast host. Uh, uh, the podcast is called Orthogonal. Did I say that right? Orthogonal. Orthogonal. <laughs> Fuck. What is orthogonal? What does that mean? So I'll read you the quote that it comes from. It's by John Kabat-Zinn. Um, well, firstly, I should say orthogonal is technically a mathematical or geometric term, which basically means a right angle, but the way that John Kabat-Zinn uses it is slightly different. And the quote is mindfulness itself is the ultimate frame within which to perceive the actuality of things as they are. I call it undergoing an orthogonal rotation in consciousness in one moment because of awareness and the insights that can arise from its open hearted and innately intelligent spaciousness. Everything is different. New openings and options can now arise, even though everything is still exactly as it was, except for you. So, you know, the way this, 
what this means to me, I suppose, is if I think about anything, whether it's an object of attention in the sensory domains or a topic of intellectual study or a concept, if I can develop an orthogonal attitude towards it, essentially, what I can either do is zoom into it really closely and look at it really closely and become really immersed in it. Or I can zoom out and sort of get a bird's eye view on it and take myself really far away from it and look at it from a different angle. But essentially, instead of going sideways, trying to navigate or manipulate it, it's about taking different views on things we think we know. Mm. And I think, honestly, my podcast name is very, uh, way too esoteric and opaque. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I couldn't let it go because it just struck me um, in a certain way that meant a lot to me. But hey, I mean, it's also a great icebreaker, uh, and yeah. which leads to like a, f- a fascinating, beautiful, and eloquent explanation like you just gave right there. So, uh, you know, I think I like as, as much as I'll probably not be able to pronounce it right again the next time I go to say it. Orthogonal? Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. I got this. <laughs> we <laughs> love words, too. <laughs> We do. Um, Chelsea, uh, so again, thank you, Chelsea, for coming on the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Give us a, give us a little sort of like, uh, insight into who, uh, who Chelsea is. Um, so I uh, grew up uh, in San Francisco Bay Area, and it's very saturated there with a lot of uh, different views on spirituality and sexuality, I would say. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of the soup that I grew up in. And I started meditating really young and at Spirit Rock there um, in Marin. And then I spent a portion of my early 20s in the jungle in Thailand doing a very intensive meditation practice and tantric yoga practice. I then came back to the U.S. where I got a degree from Columbia University in psychology with an emphasis on neuroscience, studying um, human sexuality. Uh, and spirituality um, and intimacy of all varieties. And I'm now about to begin my second Columbia degree uh, in a master's of mental health counseling. And I work in human sexuality uh, and run a psychiatric practice. So um, I have all of these various angles on human sexuality, mindfulness, concentration, embodiment, intimacy, um, from the sort of scientific to the lived. And I think, um, you know, my, my desire is to blend them all together, really, to, uh, and maybe that's why my podcast name uh, came to me is that I think taking multiple vantage points on any topic is very useful, in terms of understanding it thoroughly. Um, and I think those things are very often they're very siloed. So we have the yoga people mm-hmm. doing their yoga thing, experiencing the sort of embodied sensations of what mindfulness is what, and often what sexuality is. Uh, and people who are very focused on sex from an embodied standpoint, what it feels like and the experience of it. And then we have academics who are very focused on the sort of intellectual uh, bird's eye view kind of standpoint on these things. And for me, they're not uh, complete on their own. I think it Mm. requires, you know, our entire being to be involved in the understanding of a topic. Our mind, Mm -hmm. our body, our heart, our our lived human, you know, 
experience of the thing um all together to to truly know anything hmm. so that's my life mission that's fascinating i mean uh you must you must be a riot at dinner parties like you bring up <laughs> what you do and people go holy shit tell me everything you know <laughs> oh gosh that is an interesting topic because sometimes people <laughs> sometimes if you say something you know it's fascinating really because oftentimes if you tell people you study human sexuality and i'm going to be a sex therapist people have so much um intense and uh intense experiences around sexuality and they're so um oftentimes so contained so it's we're all walking around with you know one of the most important aspects of our lives that is really we don't talk about it and it's almost like it's bursting at the seams to be known because as soon as you open the door a little crack and kind of signal to someone that you are a person that they can allow this part of themselves to come out with it's often a total flood mm-hmm. and then on the other hand it can be very scary for people for the same reason where it can it can be even the mention of it can feel the mention of you know sexuality or intimacy or or even psychology uh um can be can immediately make people feel seen in a way that feels very threatening and invasive mm. um and that can be very difficult to navigate um in not knowing which kind of response you'll get and of course there's a middle ground but i often find it's one of those two things that it really it really either produces this sort of flood of information or a, a real look of fear and sort of the response, of, <laughs> are you psychoanalyzing me right now? Yeah. Can you see into my soul? Does she somehow, is she, is she a witch? Can she see all the weird kinky <laughs> stuff I do at home? What's yeah. going on here? Yeah. Ah, you know, so. I, I, I mean, like to, just to those, those, to those two sort of uh, contrasting reactions. I can imagine like like for the for the for the folks who have that reaction of like feeling very vulnerable or feeling like a little bit sort of on edge um that it's it's probably relatively I mean I'm making this assumption based on on what I've kind of what I see in you after having had a conversation for 10 minutes and 13 seconds um <laughs> but uh you know I I can imagine it's pretty easy to like be quite sensitive to that see where you know kind of recognize that that's happening and and you know, hopefully say a few things that kind of guide them away from those like fears and, and just let them feel at ease that you're just another person that you can have a conversation with. But for the folks that are like, just pouring it on, do you like, how do you handle that? And, and is it ever, does it ever put you in a position where you're like, Oh Christ, I really like my boundaries. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) I I don't want to have to say this, but I think I have to, for, for my own sake. You know, this is getting into a bit of a personal domain, but I'm going to go for it. Um, so I actually experienced the reverse of what you just said. Hmm. So um, there is a quote from, I think, Anais Nin, who, as you know, is one of the first really quite well-known female writers of erotica, where she says, I'm like a mermaid. I am comfortable, deeply comfortable in the depths and have a great fear of shallow living. And I think that's really the way I've been since I've been very, very young. Mm. I'm actually extraordinarily comfortable, like a fish in water when people just tell me everything, all the stuff that they, that the deepest, darkest stuff. I love that stuff. I am Mm. so comfortable there. Um, And I'm so, and I, I find it fascinating, you know, 
And if for whatever reason, I'm not quite sure what it is. I have a very, 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 very low disgust threshold. So things in general that gross people out, like bugs and cockroaches and spiders and poop and, you know, like <laughs> and anything sexual that anyone could ever do, it doesn't register to me with the same aversive response. Mm. Um, so I don't have that to overcome. I'm just... And in the place of that, I have this deep fascination with knowing all of the nuances of the things that compose what it is to be a human. Mm. Um, and actually, the thing I've had to work on is the other one, where um, learning how to dance with people, most of whom do not have the orientation I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's even something that I really gained insight into this year because I'm working in a psychiatric practice that deals with, uh, patients who have sought treatment everywhere and cannot find any cure. And so they're some of the most unwell, deeply suffering people that are on the planet. And I am immersed in caring for them all day. And, uh, it's really the very first time in my entire life that I have gotten off of a, a week of work and someone comes over to my house and tell me their problems. And I internally, I'm, you know, externally, I'm trying to stick with it. And internally, my experience is just like, oh God, please no, just yeah. don't. I don't, you know, I was like, but that is, this is the first time ever in my life that I've ever had that experience of like, right. I can't, I do, I know more intensity, you know? But so it's given me a certain level of empathy for what regular humans are experiencing in those sort of dinner party interactions where they are uncomfortable or they're feeling that it's too much. Mm. I've never had the sort of felt experience or the lived experience of that. And so it was hard for me to empathize. I didn't really quite know how to how to sort of be with them. And so I'm learning actually that part of it, like how to sort of be with people's discomfort with the depths. Mm-hmm. And how to have a lot of more empathy for that and be more socially graceful with that and not, you know, maybe calibrate my questions to be a little less probing or what have you, mm. you know? So I'm totally different than what you would have expected. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, you know, I get it because everything you just described, I feel like you described myself like almost to a T, like, you know, in conversations, you know, and again, like the, I don't, I don't really have a, a meter for disgust. I don't really no. have a meter for like, sh- you know, shock when it comes to, I mean, really pretty much like anything I, I like I, and, and it, it gets me, go- like, I love it. Yeah. You know, the more like salacious, the more extreme, the more wild, I'm like, holy <laughs> totally. shit, tell me about that. Like, how does that <laughs> yeah. work? Yeah. Um, but, uh, so I get it. I get it. Um, uh, sorry. I, f- I feel like you were, you had something there. Well, I, I, I kind of want to take it back to these like uh, these silos that you mentioned mm. of of and how we sort of like when it comes to sex, how we sort of get a little like edgy when we start to talk about its relationship to spirituality or like we're both from a yoga community. Mm-hmm. So like the whole juxtaposition of like yogic sexuality like being next to each other at least from the school that we come from is also like 
people start to get, and I'm in massage school. And so they've also been like very, there's no place for innuendo. Mm. There's no place for anything that could possibly make people feel unsafe in this like thing that we're doing that a lot of people feel sort of like, uh, like uh, uncomfortable, like touch, you know, human touch. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on, on why, why we have such, why some folks have such a low tolerance for being able to, to talk about a particular subject, whether it be sexuality or spirituality, um, with it, without, when it, when it, when it includes it's like not it's polar opposite, but something that might be viewed as sort of like causing friction with the, their perception of what that's supposed to be or should be. Mm-hmm. You know, I have developed my view on this over the years and I feel quite differently about it than I once did. So I think um, when I was younger, I had a much more radical view and I'm grateful that I did where I sort of essentially assumed in a certain sense that it would just be best if everything was out in the open all the time. Mm -hmm. And that the most common reason why that's not the case is that essentially people have just not developed a facility with doing that, which to a certain degree I still believe is true. Um, Part of the edgy response is just lack of practice oftentimes it's not an area people have explored and it's not an area people have explored with others and so doing so is simply as awkward as trying to ride a bike if you've never ridden a bike it's produces anxiety and uh tentative kind of fear response and um awkwardness and shame at not being good at it or knowing what to do mm-hmm. and that you know i think i thought for many years that, well, if we all just would be completely and totally open and, you know, about this, then we would all develop that facility and things would be much more open and natural and easeful. And I still agree with that, but I think it's more complicated. Um, I think that the truth of the matter is that sexuality, and I can discuss spirituality separately, but I think sexuality is a realm that contains both our greatest light and our greatest darkness, everything from the deep intimacy and generative power of creating new life to the destructive power of, you know, predation Mm -hmm. and that it can produce a wild range of human emotions in a way that almost nothing can. So it can produce incredible ecstasy in a way very few other things can, uh, incredible love in a way very few other things can, and also incredible shame, guilt, disgust, fear, uh, you know, violation, um, overwhelm in a way very few other things can. Mm. And so I no longer think that everything out in the open is the right response. I think there's we have to develop ways nuanced ways of coping with that fact as human beings that the sources of what is can be so wonderful to put it mildly can also be you know one of the most dangerous forces on earth 
Uh, I mean, I think people who've been through sexual violence can attest to this, that it's the worst form of violence imaginable to many people. Mm. And so I'm not honestly quite sure exactly what the right approach is anymore. But I think knowing that and honoring that is very important. And so people are on edge, I think, in part just by the nature of understanding that, you know, and wanting, rightly so, to treat the area with the kind of respect and and maybe delicate approach it deserves. Um, to navigate it in a way that doesn't cause harm. and. Well, I don't know if that's clear to people as to how they would do that. Mm. And so they don't do it at all. Mm. Um, or they do it tentatively. And, you know, as for spirituality, I kind of think similar things, you know. It can be one of the greatest sources of connection and hope and wonder. And um, also it's been, you know the reason for many world wars mm. and it's been a source of incredible oppression i mean more so than almost anything else and so i think there's a jumble of real intense things wrapped up in it um and in our society i think we're at a kind of interesting point with spirituality where we've kind of given up the old gods and we haven't gotten new ones mm. and i don't know if we're really sure how to and i think it's we're at a because the old sort of religious spiritual world relied on a worldview that did not have science and empiricism in it and so i think rightly so people are curious about or don't really understand how to integrate faith and mysticism with a good uh, critical thinking. Um, and, and so again, we're kind of, we, we've developed a sort of divide where there are people that are sort of willing to kind of continue to give up critical thinking to pursue the beauties of spirituality. And there are those that won't give it up and don't know how to find the good things about the sort of old order of, of spiritual thinking. Um, and so I think we're at a complicated point in, in our cultural relationship to, to spirituality, for sure. Absolutely. It's that was me. a very long-winded answer. Sorry. Well, no, it's good. And it's perfect because it feels as broad and as deep as it seems like you strive to be. And in your podcast, you are having conversations with people about these intersecting subjects. And so I'd love to hear like about why the, how the podcast came to be, what it was that you were setting out to do with the podcast and who I've listened to a couple of episodes. And so I, I kind of already have an idea of who, but for our listeners, I'd love to hear about who your guests are and what they're talking about. Um, yeah, well, the podcast stemmed from, and I need to record more episodes, it's been a while, but it stemmed from my interest in bringing together the academic and the mystic and the sexual. And the, I think I have a very unique um, position in the world, which I really love and feel so privileged to have, which is that 
I'm a member of multiple communities and know some of the most amazing people in them. So I have academic friends who are the best sex researchers in the world. And I have um, people who approach sex from more of an embodied standpoint, like sex education teachers who teach live hands-on sex ed. And then I have spiritual friends who are, you know, some of the best meditators or mystics or meditation teachers that are on the planet. And I have meditation researcher friends who are the most adept at studying it academically. And what I was coming across is that sort of in my attempt to integrate myself, I realized how little these communities were talking to each other and how kind of afraid they were of each other in a certain sense. Um, and so I just decided to get them on a podcast together. And mm -hmm. that's what I did. I just brought one yoga teacher and one uh, spirituality researcher or a tantra teacher and a sex neuroscientist or a doctor and a me or a meditation, uh, a retreat participant who had been mm -hmm. on retreat for three years. And I just had them talk. And the surprising and absolutely wonderful thing that came out of it is they really agree on a lot of stuff. But they just haven't been introduced to each other because there's not that many bridges who inhabit both worlds. Mm. And in those conversations, I got to see what comes out of the wisdom of both worlds. Um, and it was very profound for me in sort of my understanding of the places that those things meet. Turn Me On Podcast will be back after this short break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. What do you yeah. what do you think it is that makes those those like communities rarely come together the way that you seem to have like found you, you know you've you, you seem to have created some sort of bridge here but why do you think it is that that bridge hadn't already been there like do you think it's as simple as mm -hmm. one side seeing the other side is too woo woo and the other side seeing the other side is too like too heady and 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 like you know 
like academic or like what what is what is the because it because I hearing you say this like I I'm it totally makes sense to me that they would have a lot of the same ideas and a lot of the same views they're just looking at it from different perspectives and vantage points and so of course they're going to like come together and go oh yeah we agree on a lot of this but like do you what do you think that is that's kind of keeping that sort of space between those those worlds um that I th- I think is like I think I think it doesn't come as a surprise to people when they hear that that there is that mm-hmm. space. What do you think is causing that? Uh, part of it is just a simple fact of social connections and that people hang out with people in their environments. But I think mm-hmm. it's deeper than that. I think there's you know in terms of lines of development people tend to want to do things they're good at and so they develop one line of development they surround themselves with other people that validate how good they are at the thing they've developed feel good about their development and sort of forms a self-perpetuating loop right Mm -hmm. and then they start gay uh they start in these echo chambers that prejudices towards that group start forming. So, you know, um, like you said, there's those prejudices that you named and um, they become really solidified and sort of self-reinforcing in a way, because, you know, in spirituality, people talk a lot about the ego and the, the, all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but (laughs) It's one of the more insidious ways that the ego works is that it, you know, it tells you that the stuff that you're doing is really worthwhile and that the stuff that other mm. people are doing that you're not so good at is not worthwhile. Right. Right. And so spiritual people are over here going like, oh, these intellectual people, they're so disembodied. They just, they can't <laughs> feel anything. Do they even work out? Are they alive below the neck? Like they're just talking heads. <laughs> yeah, have they ever yeah. even felt, do they have sex? Do they meditate? Like I don't respect them, right? Blah, blah, blah. Like, and the whole idea as a spiritual person of being in your head, which is so funny to me because the brain is a huge center of neurons. We're always in our head, right? You're not, there's no separation. We have this sort of like the Cartesian divide of like, the, the, as if there's a line at the neck and the academics are in their head and the yogis mm. are in their body, right? And then- the academics are looking at the spiritual people and the people involved in sex in a very hardcore way and kind of going, looking at them and sort of thinking, you know, that's nice, but you're stuck in the dark ages, kind mm. of. Like, you you have all these crazy conspiracy theories. Have you read anything recently? <laughs> you guys are in an echo chamber of kind of insanity in certain ways where you, like the cr- critical thinking is very low in mm. their eyes, you know, and, and in sort of get a job, you know, kind of. So it, it's just ways of reinforcing that, well, if I'm a yogi and I've spent three years on retreat, and or I've spent decades developing this, and I've gained these insights, then if I were to acknowledge that these things might not be the most important thing for me to have done with my life, well, that might be very threatening. Mm. And the same thing with academics. Well, if I've spent two decades accumulating citations and publishing literature and have given up so much to attain this thing, and then I were to recognize that there's aspects of my life that are totally undeveloped, that might be very threatening. Mm. 
And so, you know, we continue to perpetuate the justification for our choices and our belief that we've lived our life in a worthwhile way. Because especially when you get people who are at the top of their field or at the be- or doing the best at whatever they're doing, they've made enormous sacrifices to be there. So academics who are the best academics in the world, they do almost nothing else. It's a very little known fact yeah. that it, they, their life is devoted to the pursuit of knowledge, understanding the human existence through the lens that they do. Same with meditation teachers. Mm-hmm. They've made enormous sacrifices in their careers, in their romantic lives, in their relationship to having the, the pleasures of householders, the pleasures of making money and careers. And those things, they're very, very difficult choices. And a lot of work goes into justifying the sacrifice intellectually. Mm. And so I think it's very easy to get siloed. Mm-hmm. Um, because you would have to dedicate your life to these if you, well, you don't have to, but if you are, if you're that kind of dedicated, mm-hmm. then it's also, a. would you say it's also a kind of tunnel vision? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's easy to get tunnel vision and... We're seeing that with, you know, politics right now and yeah, 100%, yeah. social media and, yeah. um, you know, confirmation bias is, is a thing. It's very strong. Um, yeah. I'd like to rewind back to the living in your head thing, because mm-hmm. as Jeremy was saying at the beginning of this, like, I really do have like, a, like I'm tickled by the, by the neuroscience and I'm in massage Uh school, so I'm building on the knowledge I already have. And so, you know, for anyone who's, who's not sure we've got like our central nervous system and our peripheral nervous system, our central being like our spinal cord and our brain, and then our peripheral being going out to the limbs and going out to the, the viscera, the organs and our, in our torso and, um, whatnot. And, and I was listening to a couple of episodes. I listened to a couple of episodes and I, I heard something in the first one that reminded me of neuroscience, even though it was a conversation about Tantra. Mm. Um, and I'm just going to pull up it, it. Your guest, I believe his first name is Michael was saying that through meditation um, and Tantra, you, ha- you, you or through, through a regular practice of meditation, you might notice that you are, uh, you're having these clusters which to me is a very descriptive word of what an orgasm feels like a cluster of moments of of waking up and um and so through a you know a beginner's a beginner's practice of meditation you might have a moment where you go where you're not where you're you're where you're waking up but then if you're practicing regularly you might have two or three moments in a day of waking up, of feeling present, of feeling like, you know, aware of your surroundings. And then as I went on and I listened to that episode, I absolutely loved it. Then we went into the second episode where we're talking about the difference between clitoral orgasms and cervical orgasms Hmm. being different parts of being affected by and informed by different parts of the nervous system. And that was a huge, like, mind blown moment. And I'm, I'm wondering with your 
far more extensive background in this kind of thing. If you can give our listeners and and Jeremy and even myself kind of a, a little chat about the nervous system and 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 how our spiritual practices and our our sexual practices sort of can merge or how they might come together. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. To be I can not, try to. Yeah. Just, just to just, be not to, continue to be, to be, I don't remember what I was going to say, but to, to, to be not siloed, I suppose to, yeah. to, yeah. Yes. Um, I'll try to be concise. This is a huge topic, a huge, <laughs> in, a in huge five cluster words of left, topics. Um, in one Twitter post. <laughs> yeah. So I think there's the question of what does waking up mean neurologically? And I can get back to that because I've spent a great deal of time examining that. Um, or maybe I'll address it now. So one of my... A favorite meditation teacher, Shinzen Yang, has said that the definition of enlightenment in a very simple way is understanding that the self is not as we thought it was, and that the self is a fluctuating process. It's a verb, not a noun. Um, and I think, um, so when I was deep in my studies, I started looking into the different neurobiological roots of selfhood essentially and what happens when they dissolve which could be thought of as waking up or is commonly thought of as waking up and there's a really a few different um kind of neurobiological layers of the self if you will um that function um i became interested in this actually because i i came across a case study of of these groups of people who Due to a neurological impairment, they um, lose track of being able to identify the, their body parts as belonging to themselves. So they'll think that their arm belongs to the doctor or their spouse or something like that. And so it was interesting because I realized that a sort of very disordered sense of self or body ownership would also not be good. I mean, it would be can be bad, right? So we we have this we can have this overly congealed sort of discrete sense of self that can cause us a lot of suffering where we everything becomes about reinforcing our okayness as a self and that can become very disordered so that all of our thinking processes in life become about that and of course we do need in my view to have a sense of a self that extends across time so we can do things like pay our taxes and function to cook ourselves food and things like that unless you want to be like Ramana Maharishi and have cockroaches or bugs eat through your flesh, which is what happens to people that really let go. Um, And so essentially there's some sort of continuum of a very, very congealed, very, very rigid sense of self. It is totally inflexible and that causes great suffering in its inflexibility and a sort of very disordered, very loose sense of self that probably wouldn't be functional for all of us. And so I just became very interested in this continuum and and there's um there's several explanations for it and this might be getting too deep but i think it's important to answer this question because in spiritual communities we have we talk a lot about you know waking up and being present and all of these these verb these these slogans um so i i like to get into it what does it mean um 
so there's the what we call in science the default mode network, which is a kind of it's becoming popular, it's becoming well known that we have these regions, networks of our brain that function to produce thoughts related to ourself essentially, and that in humans at rest who haven't done much practice or aren't on psychedelics or having sex, they're pretty much on at rest. If you put someone in a scanner and you just don't have them do anything, their brain's going to start coming up with stuff about them. I need to <laughs> X. This is my to do list. Help me get out of this suffering. Help me attain this pleasure. And that's actually, you know, um, a survival mechanism, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, and so that one is becoming well known, but there's actually interesting ways in which there's deeper layers of selfhood that actually, when you look at psychedelic research, for instance, where these self networks really go offline you actually see other things go offline too, like a sense of time and space and body ownership. Mm -hmm. And you get a sort of experience that is totally non-located uh, in any one specific domain, uh, very dispersed. And that's the kind of thing where you start to feel that all things are one, a sense of unconditional love that pervades everything, that you are that thing, that you are all of all of the things that are coming into your perception are not divided up into self and non-self, right? The barriers really go down. Mm. And that version of ourself likely goes very deep into our neurology. So when you think of a baby and their, their neurology, they have not yet consolidated all of these highways, right? Into pathways that are, uh, that have been walked many times. And so you get, but I think Shinzen calls this blooming, buzzing chaos, right? And infused in that is a deep sense of love with the mother, this deep connection, hopefully. And so you're getting this blooming, buzzing, intimate chaos that is undifferentiated. And then as we grow, we form pathways, we form predictions about what is reality. What if I look at a thing and it it's composed of um eyes and a nose and a mouth that might be a human that might be another being right so we develop ideas and these ideas are very important these pathways are very important so that we can navigate the world around us they tell us what to expect and 90 or a huge percentage of our of our lived experience is actually prediction neurologically we're not mm -hmm. processing everything all the time we're actually mostly predicting it very little processing comparatively so when you undo that it's a deeply destabilizing and also deeply blissful because you return to the blooming, buzzing chaos that's infused with love. And so those deeper self, self um, mechanisms are both very important to move across a room, for instance, but also they can often prevent us from seeing things in that orthogonal way. They trap us into our preconceived ideas, both positive and negative about what is occurring, both from very simple things like the objects around us to our ideas about who we are, our emotions, our, you know, the world, what is love, what is connection, all of these things. So we can get fixed and rigid about what the world is, what, who we are, right? And that is when, again, suffering occurs. So there's some continuum there where we can be open enough to see things new, see things fresh, allow them to be remade in front of our eyes every second, but we have enough stability to continue functioning. How does this relate to sexuality? <laughs> Next topic. 
So sexuality, um, what can happen during sex is that, and spiritual traditions that use sexuality have figured this out. They use sexuality as a means to understand spirituality Mm -hmm. have figured this out is that when you look at a brain having an orgasm in an MRI, the most areas of the brain are lit up of any human activity besides an epileptic seizure. Hmm. So your brain is on fire with electricity. There is so much going on. It's a unique human experience of just a symphony of neurological activity that is very, very hard to produce in any other way. And when someone else is there, you can develop this um, sort of channel of communication that happens through rhythm and synchrony where you're quite literally allowing for the sensory experiences of the other and yourself to become synchronized. And that activity uh, produces an experience of incredibly deep connection So those two things, and, you know, I could go into great detail about both of them, but both of them can function to essentially crowd out selfing. There is simply not enough neurological space left in the brain to do the default mode network. It just cannot happen at the same time. And so it can be a real window into what it feels like when that goes offline, when suddenly you're not thinking about the things that you're thinking about. And it can also, if you're really lucky, (laughs) dissolve the conceptualization I discussed about the self enough so that you can loosen those pathways a little bit and see and experience yourself and the world in a very different way than you have. Mm. And those two things, in my view, are what awakening consists of, Mm. right? And so it can be a way to kind of hijack yourself into some things that might take a really long time of meditation practice to attain otherwise, because they're neurological skills that are very difficult to do And the reason for that is we as organisms have needed to cling to pleasure and push away pain for survival. And we've needed to protect ourselves and we've needed to be selfish in a certain sense Mm -hmm. while also being pro-social and so on uh, in order to get to this evolutionary point, right? So that is the very long-winded answer of what is happening neurobiologically during sexuality that could be thought of as awakening. Mm. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah. And I, first of all, I just want to say, <laughs> I could listen to you talk <laughs> for fucking years. Um, it's, it's, it's just, it, it's really nice. Like you, you're a really great, um, you're really great at relaying information. Like you're, you're like a good educator. Aww. And, and I, I know that like, I, I know that I'm not, you know, it's just the three of us right now, but there's, there's, you know, there's thousands of people listening to this right now. And I know that, um, 
that little explanation that you gave that really was like only scratching the surface of something that is far, far more complex and, and broad and in depth than like I could ever wrap my head around. Um, I know that you probably just like sparked this, this sense of this desire to want to learn more about how sex plays a massive role in how we can like experience life. Um, and, and what I'd love about what you just, what you just explained to me was it just, it, it makes me think about how many people go through their lives and not to say there's anything wrong with this, but it, but people who go through their lives where sex is just the thing that you do, you got it. you like, Hey, you got to get it. You got to get it out. You got to get it done. It's just the thing you do with your partner. And okay. Like it was good today. Like, it wasn't that great that, you know, the last time, but it's maintenance. You know, it's maintenance, right. As opposed to looking at it as this, as this, you know, as, as opposed to looking at it as this thing that can actually be simultaneously extraordinarily sacred, yet also like fascinatingly um, scientific, scientific, you know, like there, there's so much to sexuality and sex that makes it so much more than just this thing that we are programmed to do because we're animals. Like it goes so much further than that. And, and just hearing you describe this in that way just makes me like oh it's just that reminder of oh yeah sex is mind-blowingly amazingly cool it's just such a cool thing you know and anyway i don't have a question i literally just want to say that because i just it's really cool to hear someone like yourself who's who's so uh deeply knowledgeable about this stuff just kind of just take the ball and run with it and uh i'm really grateful for for that i'm grateful thank you yeah um, well, you know, I think just go on. Sorry. No, 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 no. What I was going to say is um, a few things, you know, firstly, people develop their sexuality is often in private. And one of my friends used to talk about how if you had to learn to cook completely alone and the only thing you maybe had as a cookbook, but no one ever could teach you. No one can get in the kitchen with you and really teach you how to cook. You never ate a meal with really like more than one person at a time. And then the only thing you see is like a cooking video. That's like the most fancy chefs ever, right? IE porn um, doing crazy, weird kitchen tricks. Right. And so we're just, we're learning in a vacuum. So people make do once you make do for long enough, you get used to eating whatever food you're eating. And then with sexuality, it's really, we underestimate how much of it is learned. Yeah. I think to your point, we think of it as this animal urge and it's the same with food. Well, yeah, you could eat raw chicken for the rest of your life and satisfy your animal urges, but we're humans. We want more. Mm-hmm. And it's so, it, it's really in the scientific literature, even one of my favorite sex researchers talks a lot about just the, the massive under estimation of the role of learning in sexuality and every time you have sex you're practicing something you're pairing your neurons Mm. together you're doing something that makes it so that the next time you're more likely to do that thing Mm -hmm. and we kind of yes a lot of our sexuality is out of our control and that's why it's a messy domain in terms of our preferences a lot of those are sort of hardwired in if you will um but 
there's a huge amount of it. And the connection piece is one of them that is a malleable. It's a skill set. Yeah. And it depends on essentially practicing allowing that to be your sexuality. And I think one of the sort of downsides of the way the brand Tantra branding these days is it makes it seem like you have to cover yourself in patchouli and go off to the jungle like <laughs> I did and, you know, wear the garb and pray to a Hindu god, right? And I think it really would be better if we just talk to people about some very basic things in sexuality, like, you know, a lot of people grow up on fantasy, masturbation and fantasy, and so they get very into the narrative of sexuality. And so just practicing not being in a story mm. while you're having sex with yourself or someone else and just really feeling your senses, just that one simple mm -hmm. thing, if everyone did it, our world, would, I really think the world would change. Right. But it's something you have to do. You have to kind of decide, okay, my whole life I've been fantasizing about these three things. But for this sexuality, this for this sex, for this moment, sorry, you know, I'm just going to see what it feels like to focus just on the way my skin feels and the way the room mm. smells and the way my partner looks and mm -hmm. what that feels like. And those things can feel really boring at first for a lot of people because they're so used to the hyperstimulation that they've been receiving sexually in this world of hyper stimulation of that we live in. Mm -hmm. um, and so that stuff can, those very simple things of just kind of what the cu curiosity, not curiosity intellectually, curiosity in the sensory realm Yes, and being willing to see your partner fresh, especially in long-term relationships and allow them to appear in each moment before your eyes as a new thing. I think those skills are things that have to be practiced and mm. then it will be different and than I, I, just yeah, eating yeah. fast food. Yeah. And I feel like that's relatable to a lot of people. Like if you really sit and think about, you know, some of the best sexual experiences you've ever had in your life, more likely than not, it were, it, it just happened to be those moments where that just kind of clicked, where you just happened to yes. be in the present moment. You weren't thinking about like, what you look like when you're on in this position or, or what you're like, you're, you're not thinking, you're not thinking about anything other than you're just in the moment feeling with it, with whether it's just with yourself or if it's with a partner or, or if it's with fucking eight partners, mm -hmm. you're just there feeling. And like, you know, you get rid of all the bells and whistles and it's just the moment of like pure connected mindfulness of just like being super present in that one present moment. And that's the sex that I think a lot of us, like I, I say a lot of us, I feel like many people have that experience. Don't realize that it simply mm -hmm. came from being just like present with their, with their senses present with their body. And then they go, they go searching. They, they go searching for that mm -hmm. dragon. They're like, mm -hmm. well, "How the mm -hmm. fuck? I had that once. I yes. know I can fucking do it again." Yes. When really, it's like you don't have to try that hard. You, it's real. It really like it. Yes, you, yes. There, there's it, like you said, there's practice, and it's not. It, it's not necessarily easy, but you, you have done it. And it, I think, I think, oftentimes people kind of get caught up and they start searching for it in the wrong places, and and that's well, when they yeah. start to kind of focus on like the you know, the fantasy of that thing that they attained that one time, which like I've felt in meditation, you know, like it, at the end of a, a hard practice laying in Shavasana and, 
And I'm just there. And all of a sudden I'm like, I've transcended my, this is going to sound insane to some people, I'm sure. But like I've lit, literal, literal out of body experience and I can't tell where I begin. I can't tell where I end. And it's this like very trippy state of being. And I didn't try to get there. I just ended up there. And then like the next year just going, I got to get back to that place. How do I get back to that place? And I could never get back to that place because I was trying too hard. I was looking for it in the wrong places. Anyway, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I love it. It's so, it's so, so true. I mean, and this is one of my huge passions and it's something I got, if I had a megaphone and I could just say one thing to the world, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say this would be it, but it feels like this would be it a lot of times is you, you know, we live in this world that tells us that good sex and falling in love and love in general is something that's going to land on us from outside in. It's going to fall on our heads. We're going to, we, the world will make us fall in love. Someone else will make us fall in love. Someone else will provide us the good sex. The situation will give us the good sex. The thing, the right threesome, the right scenario. Like you said, we're chasing the world, looking mm. for something that's happening inside of us. Mm, and mm-hmm. we, you know, that's just not the way things work. And it is, it, it causes so much chasing of the dragon, which leads to an alteration and reward circuitry and anhedonia, meaning it makes you fixated and inevitably less things bring less pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, in my view, the truth of the matter is that good sex and, in my opinion, more importantly, good love and good intimacy is, is it comes from our capacity for it. I think love, it's not well understood that love is an endurance sport, you know, just like everything else. Mm-hmm. It's something, it's a long, hard you have to continue to choose love, to choose to love and to open yourself to love, whether that's with the person or as a being that wants to be loving. And you have to choose it over and over and over and choose it when it hurts and choose it when you feel like being selfish and choose it when the person is pissing you <laughs> off and choose it when it doesn't feel like it and you don't feel like it and the world doesn't feel like it. And that's how you gain a bigger heart. That's how you get a capacity to love. That's how when you're in love, and it falls on your head you keep it mm. it doesn't because you're waiting for it to fall on your head and then you're going to fall in love it's going to be the right moment the right scenario the right person everything and then how do you hold that you're trying to catch a thunderstorm in a thimble it's just going to fall right through yeah. you yeah. and you're going to be like why did my relationship fall apart why you know and the same with sexuality it's like yeah it could descend on you you could get into just that right moment when you get just the right partner and they look the way your fantasies do and blah, blah, blah. But guess what? You're going to get old and your tits are going to sag and everything (laughs) is going to go south. And what then? I mean, right. Mm. So it's these things. They come from us. They come from us seeing how wide we can open ourselves to the pleasure and love. That simple act doing that over and over is what makes you thing that can hold a lake of of love Mm. and of pleasure you have to make the reservoir it doesn't happen on its own 
Um, I love that. And yeah. at the same time, I'm, I'm like, can't we call the other stuff not love? Like when it's hard <laughs> and when it's work, can't we just call it fucking work? And like, yeah. why? <laughs> it doesn't yeah. feel like love. It doesn't feel like. Yeah. I, <laughs> is there some other way we yeah. can make it? <laughs> um, like, I, I Chelsea, I, I got to say like the, this, it's, it's, uh, it really, and I, I kind of, you know, I said this earlier, but it, it really is. Um, this is one of the reasons why I love doing the show is having, having the chance to sit down every once in a while and not, not that all of our guests aren't great. I mean, we have, we have every person who's been on the show is fantastic, but every once in a while we get a conversation like this where I'm just like, my mind's just blown. And I'm just like, I'm excited. It's it's like, it just adds this like zest to wanting to just go explore more, be more curious about myself and my partner and like I just, I really do appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to sit down and chat with us because, um, because not only do I get to benefit from this, but all of our listeners do too. And uh, and this has been this has been really cool. And folks, I mean, fuck, if you like this, like we said ch- earlier, Chelsea's got her own podcast. You check out the podcast, Orthogonal. <laughs> uh, that's A O R T H O. G O N A L. It's spelled the way that it sounds. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and I highly suggest you go check it out um, and give it a follow. Uh, Chelsea, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. How can people stay up to date with the work that you're doing or find you on on social media? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me and for asking such wonderful questions and being such great hosts. I love talking about this stuff, and you two are wonderful to talk with. Um, my website is chelseypasano.com, C-H-E-L-S-E-Y-F-A-S-A-N-O. Um, and all my social media is on there. I admittedly am not the best at following uh, my social media accounts and being on the internet, but you can also email me at chelsea at chelseypasano.com. And I try to answer questions as I can. Hmm. Um, and um, yeah, thank cool. you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right, there we have it, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation that we just had. And uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you want to support the podcast further, you can do that by leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app. And uh, if you want to uh, support the podcast even further than that, which you can. Wow. You can You're go to so kind and thoughtful and so generous. Thoughtful, so generous. Go to patreon.com slash turn me on uh, to become a patron and help us uh, keep this podcast afloat. Well, if you want to reach out to us, turn me on podcast at gmail.com is always open for all of your messages. That's the best way to get in touch. If you have a question for us, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if you have a recommendation for a guest on the show, or if you just want to send us a little love note, uh, email money transfer, uh, all of that sex toy, <laughs> you know, we're, we're our email inbox is open to you. That is it for this week. Until next week. How do you go touch yourself?
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 